Searching sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. All the people who make these Hitler comparisons, which are never apt, never apt. We should just stop doing that. These Hitler comparisons, five years from now, six years from now, when this deal holds, we'll come back and say, I said a lousy thing back in 2015. She's not alone. The number of classes geared toward teaching adults how to adult is growing. Rachel Flanger co-founded the aptly named Adulting School in Portland, Maine. This month, she's launching online classes geared toward millennials anywhere who want to know how to sew a button, understand modern art, or tell someone they love them. How to have a relationship. What a crowd, what power, what beautiful people. I see you all week, and now I have to see you once again to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. It's Monday. And we're back in the saddle. We have so much to discuss, so many things going on. But first of all, Jesus is the reason for the season. Merry Christmas. And thank you for your participation in our wristbands effort here at American Family Radio. Uh, We are just so excited to see those all over the place. And please don't forget to post pictures of you wearing your wristbands from AFA, your Christmas colored Christmas wristbands. Post those photos on the postable area of the Stacy on the Right Show page or the AFA page or the American Family Radio page. Go over and post those images so we can see you in action with your wristbands on. That's exciting. I love it when people post pictures of themselves drinking out of their Stacy on the Right Show mugs. And so anything you're doing where you're partnering with us, let's, let's bling it up on social media. Let's have some fun with it. We're doing it to bring Jesus back to the central focus point of Christmas, but there's no reason why we can't have fun doing that. So welcome into the program today here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So excited to be with you. We are going to be talking about millennials taking adulting classes, which include lessons on how to cut an onion, how to say, I love you to someone. Yes, you heard that right. (laughs) So we'll be talking about that. We are also going to uh, speak to Angela Morabito, contributor to the Washington Examiner. She's coming on because she's very excited about the First Step Act. And we've had people on the show who have been very supportive of it. Actually, National Center and Project 21 recently put out a statement last week, actually. It was just uh, the end of the week. And you can find it at the Stacey on the Right Show page. And we've denounced. We're, we're, I wouldn't say denounced. We are separating ourselves off because there are still some very problematic areas of the First Step Act. Areas of concern that have not been addressed that would permit violent felons access to early release. And we're interested in seeing those things addressed before the bill would move forward. Now, unfortunately, we're looking at the bill moving forward now. We're looking at Mitch McConnell trying to bring it up. And that means that we have to choose a position. We either support it or we don't. So at the National Center for Public Policy Research and specifically Project 21, we're calling for these changes before our support can be offered. So, uh, you know, we've spent time at the White House meeting with staffers about our blueprint of 57 policy recommendations called the blueprint. Um, And we, we feel like we have some inroads there, but we haven't been getting as much traction on getting some changes made to the First Step Act. No meetings, no no offers of, of getting in there and, and having some discussions about it. So we'll speak with Angela Morabito. She's a contributor to the Washington Examiner. And we're going we're gonna to turn this issue over a little bit. That'll be in the next segment. And then we'll get into in the last segment that the, you heard the tease in the beginning of the show. 
these millennial, they're, 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 they're people. Okay. They're some of them, fantastic, talented people, but they've come up in homes where they had a super mom who did everything for them. And now they're out in the real world and they've graduated from college and they have their own place and they're really, they're, they're having a tough go. And this is the generation that has the largest percentage of people who are still living at home and also the largest percentage of people who are living at home and are not attending school or gainfully employed. So basically just living at home, like I only have one child left at home who lives that way. Our, two of our children have jobs, not enough to support themselves outside of the house, but they, they don't qualify for the definition that was used for this survey as these millennials do who are college educated, some of them, many of them, and in their early 30s. I have teenagers who are outdoing these kids. So it's, I think it's the home environment and we'll get into that. And we'll take your calls also 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So first off, let's get into the daily confession. Today, we're going to talk about holding fast to Christ. It's Hebrews 3 verses 1 through 14, King James Version. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has builded the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God." And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So what are we talking about here? Well, have we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence that we had at first. This is about maintaining our spiritual integrity and holding on to Jesus because faithfulness to him is the ultimate in religious security. It outdoes any assurances that we have from man-made governments or other people or even our own churches and where, where we attend and we tithe and we faithfully serve and try to make a difference. Even a church home can become corrupted. A church leader can fall or go astray and it can leave members shaken which is why as much as we want to serve and spend time in church and do, do all that we can from the tithing to the serving to the regular attendance, we still have to realize that churches are comprised of people and that our ultimate hope has to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. So is our allegiance to God pure and true and complete? There are a ton of pressures that we go through um, and sometimes those pressures, if we allow them to, can draw us away from our allegiance to Christ. We're talking about peer pressure, people who just don't want you to, uh, personal lusts, um, philosophies that creep in and make us doubt whether or not what we believe is true. Even doctrinal issues where people, you know, some people believe one thing, some believe another, that can be a wedge point where the enemy can try to pry you away from your faith. We can't allow that. Sometimes the pressuring of other people, while they may be well-meaning, serves to fuel these doubts. But we must remain faithful to Christ in all things. So in Hebrews 3, 
the Hebrew people are facing a similar dilemma to what has been described here. Some are thinking of reverting to their former ways, which for them was Judaism. They're thinking, it's a good religion, isn't it? It came from God, right? It will be much easier for us to follow because we won't have to face such opposition from family and friends because, you know, they're, they're, they're still practicing Judaism. And we know the tenets of Judaism. We won't have to struggle to learn. We don't have to change our habits or our practices. And the same sort of thing can be said about many of our religious backgrounds. The author of Hebrews argues for these people not to return to Judaism. Instead, why we need to remain faithful to Jesus in actions, thoughts, attitude, and doctrine. Now, listen, we're not talking about returning to Judaism here, but we are talking about a return to the secular nature that really, it, we're at, that's what we're at war with. The flesh that desires that we would satisfy any and every urge and desire that we have, as opposed to our spirit man, which is unified with Christ and is seeking sanctification. And those two elements, we're, we're continually putting down the flesh, killing the flesh so that we can achieve that aim of growing closer and closer to Jesus. So in anything that we're considering about our faith, Jesus has to be central to that. And he called us to discipleship. He himself had disciples and he calls us to emulate him in that aspect by discipling others. And in discipling and leading others to Christ, we strengthen our faith to him. We strengthen our, our faith walk so that we're able to withstand, really, it's everywhere you look, from the displays at Barnes & Nobles, which is nothing but leftism for the kids, the displays at Barnes & Nobles that are foisting the leftism off on the adults, the television shows, the radio programs, the music, which constantly ferrets in these negative thought patterns and really ungodly messages just pounding in your ear to the beat of music over and over and over again. That is a constant onslaught, 24 hours a day. So the, the, the answer is, first of all, we got to be in that regular appointment with God in the morning. First thing, give him that time, have your devotions in your morning prayer, and then you, you're starting the day off running. Then it's a constant conversation, speaking with him, giving him our every prayer and thought, all of the things that we're concerned with, the worries, quote unquote, we entrust those to him. The complaints. Yes, I said complaints. Your complaints about this one or that one. Instead of picking up the phone and calling a friend and engaging in gossip, tell your father, tell him about this person so he can comfort you, so he can enable you to continue to not just deal with this person, but to enjoy them and to be in relationship with them, right relationship, because there is no person who's always going to please you. So we have to yield ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that we can deal with even the, the most difficult people. And in doing those things, and including reading our Bible and engaging in Bible study and small group and going to church weekly, it's a must that we're in the pew on Sunday or Saturday, if, if that's for you, to get the message so that we can be refreshed. And then praise and worship. It sounds like I'm giving you a list of a whole bunch of legalistic things that you need to do in order to be right with God. Not at all. You're going to be led to do any number of those things in the way that God has for you to do them, but I'm listing them off because we have so many options to beat back the secular culture and to focus on God. And we often kind of, we, we kind of operate in this world like we don't have these options. The same commentary that we've made many times on the show about the 
addiction to smartphones and social media, you can also say, oh, wow, well, but if you're having screen time, that screen time could be on the Bible app. That screen time could be on version. That screen time could be on uh, your your uh, Audible app listening to a Christian book or your BSF app listening to your lecture notes from last week. It's, it's, it's a choice that we have. So I encourage you, <clears throat> my encouragement for you today is that the, the tools are here. The options are available to us. We need only access them. We don't have to be a part of the generation that's losing their faith and returning to the old ways because they don't see a way forward that they can walk with Jesus. That is the narrow way, but it's the best way and only way to an eternity with him. So I know we had a caller. I'm not sure if we're still there. Uh, yeah, let's quickly take this call. Ernest in Michigan. Thank you so much for calling the show today. Can you hear me, Stacy? Yes, I can hear you. Stacy, 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 my beautiful sister in the Lord. I just want to say it is a pleasure to talk to you. I thank God for your boldness, your tenacity, your intelligence. You don't bag down on the issues. You are a brave soldier in the Lord, but yet you are humble. I love the fact that God has placed you on the radio to deal with all this mess that we're living in, the things that Jesus said would happen before his second advent. And I just want to say to you, my beautiful, bold sister, keep on doing what you're doing. Don't bag down, and I pray God's protection over you and your family. And no matter what, that's the way I am. Stand for the truth. You are a special, special person. Your voice is anointed. The way you come across is anointed. And I know it's all because of God, our Father. I thank you very much. Keep on doing what you're doing, Stacey. Thank you. Thank you for calling in today and for your kind words. Um, I give all glory to him. This is for him, through him. I'm doing this because this is what God has for me to do. Thank you so much. Um, we will be back with more. In fact, we're going to have Angela Morabito, contributor to the Washington Examiner, right after these messages. Keep it here. on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. 
Hello, I'm Pastor Joseph Parker, and this is Daily Time in the Word. It's our goal to help you better understand the great blessing of spending time in God's Word every single day. In the Word of God, specifically in the book of Psalms, we find in Psalm 91 a powerful weapon of protection. The first words of Psalm 91 tell us, verses 1 and 2, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. I would challenge and encourage you and each member of your family to pray Psalm 91, a prayer like this one. Today we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and so we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Today we say of the Lord, you are our refuge and our fortress. Our God, in you do we trust. Surely you deliver us from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. You cover us with your feathers, and under your wings do we trust. Your truth is our shield and buckler. And so we are not afraid for the terror by night, nor for the air that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near us. Only with our eyes do we look and see the reward of the wicked. Because we have made the Lord our refuge, even the Most High our habitation, no evil will befall us, nor does any plague come near our dwelling. For you give your angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways. They bear us up in their hands, lest we dash our foot against a stone. We tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent we trample underfoot. Because we have set our love upon you, therefore you deliver us. You set us on high because we have known your name. We call upon you and you answer us. You are with us in trouble. You deliver us and honor us. With long life you satisfy us and show us your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. While we're working on getting our guests, we have time for other calls. You can join the show at 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. And um, I want to also point you to, I have this link here. I, I just checked the Facebook page and I'm always like, oh, it's on the Facebook page. Well, it's not actually there, except now it is. I just put it up there. So you can read at nationalcenter.org our comments and uh, things that we're concerned with on the First Step Act. We're concerned with quite a bit of things that have to do with uh, the you know, this, this could be harmful to minority communities. And I know that's kind of, that's antithetical to what you're being told about the First Step Act. It's like, hey, you know, it's got to be good for all communities. It's got to be good, especially for the black community. But just because something has to do with shortening prison sentences doesn't mean it's automatically good for the black community. Um, that is kind of simplistic. And we, we have to be a little bit more far thinking than that. Um, so I encourage you to check out our press release and our article that we have. Um, and I, I'm just concerned that um, that in our haste, and when I say our, the Republicans, in their haste to have something that they can point to that they're doing, quote unquote, for minority communities, that this is going to be pushed through and it'll have a similarly uh, wide-ranging 
deleterious effect, similar to what happened with the crime bill, which, again, blacks in America were clamoring for this bill, um, the the Clinton crime bill, to get criminals off the street. But the pendulum swung in such a, a tough direction that people were serving extended prison sentences for for crimes that they would not normally uh, spend decades in prison for. And so now, you know, people are saying, no, too many black people are being incarcerated for minor offenses. And the answer is not to say, well, everyone gets early release. We need something better than that. We need some middle ground. And this is this is part of the problem that we have with our uh, what we're doing with um, with prison reform, with all of it. It's we get an idea, we have a bill, we have something going on, and then what happens? Um, we don't we don't get what we're looking for. We get something, but it's not what we're looking for. So, um, I'm just sending this over to my producer because we're t- I'm I'm I have time right now on my show sheet. We're supposed to be speaking to Angela Morabito, Washington Examiner contributor. Um, so. In addition to that, I was talking to you a little bit in in the beginning about some cultural issues, and there's a story out that kind of goes to the reason why we have so much dysfunction in relationships between women and food, women and their bodies, and I'm speaking about Nigella Lawson. Now, you know, she's she's from Great Britain, and she's a very, very popular chef over there, and she's had a television show and numerous cookbooks here in the United States for just... I mean, she's really been around a while and now she has the opportunity to have a billboard in LA advertising some of her new, uh, show. It's a new television show called the taste. And she explains that the taste is like the voice, the voice television show. It's a competition. It's like that only replace the singing with food. So it sounds fun. Sounds, sounds uplifting and upbeat. Um, so what, what we're looking at is she's got this billboard that they wanted to put up in Los Angeles to promote the show. And ABC reached out to her and said, well, we've got your images and we've chosen one that we think is fantastic. And they're all images of her, you know, basically a full on shot of her standing up in a dress. And the dress is by any standard, it's, it's not racy at all. She looks very much like someone who's promoting something you know, middle of the road, fun, good, fun stuff. Well, what she says is, is that they, they, they said, look, we want to, we want to Photoshop your tummy to make her tummy really thin and narrow and flat. Well, it turns out that, um, she said, no, She even went to her blog and made a post, and here's a little quote from it. Although it was very thrilling to think of being up on a billboard in L.A. and around the United States, I was very strict in English and told them they weren't allowed to airbrush my tummy out. Wise? Hmm. But the tum is the truth and has come by honestly, as my granny would have said. So um, I support that completely. I think if more women embraced the natural curvature of their bodies and the natural look of being, you know, I think being thin is great and it's, it's completely appropriate, but it's also okay to not be rail thin if that's not your natural body composition. And she is naturally curvier. And so that would be wonderful for her to just acknowledge and for them to allow her to be herself instead of airbrushing and Photoshopping out the, the natural 
look of her of herself. It's basically like they want to put her head on someone else's body. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Angela Morabito. She's a contributor to the Washington Examiner. Angela, thank you for joining the show today. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Okay, you're a little low in my ear. I'm, I'm wondering if my producer can turn you up a little bit because I can barely hear you. Um, so you, you're coming on to talk to us today about the First Step Act. Tell us where you stand on supporting the bill and why. Sure. Well, the First Step Act will come up for a cloture vote today at 530 in the Senate. Uh, the First Step Act is, as it, just as it sounds, a first step toward criminal justice reform. It would allow inmates in the federal penitentiary system to potentially get released early if they are nonviolent criminals. And if they participate in certain programs and behave well, they can essentially earn their freedom a little bit earlier. Uh, it also provides $250 million to programs that will be studied to see how well they help people reintegrate back into society. And chief among those programs is education and getting people up to speed with a high school education and with technical skills they can use to go get a job. Okay, so I love all of that. Sounds wonderful. Those are great things. But what about the early release for people who've committed carjackings, but they haven't actually killed anyone? Or some of the other violent offenses that people are in prison for who will also be eligible for early release? Well, there's a whole list of offenses that are not part of the First Step Act. If someone has committed violence against a police officer with a weapon, if someone has hurt a romantic partner or a child or, you know, participated in some sort of aggravated assault, it is exceedingly unlikely that they would ever be able to use this program. Uh, And what it does, regardless of of what crime the person is is in there for, is it puts them in something called, like, post-incarceration custody. So they are still looked after. Somebody's still checking up on them. But it's, think of it as a halfway point between being free and on your own and locked up in prison. It's a halfway step where you can kind of test and see how well is this person going to do when they're off the state radar entirely. Um, outcomes for that have been studied, and they're really, really good. This idea of, okay, we got someone who's been behind bars probably for multiple years, most sentences are at least five years, so somebody spent a significant chunk of time separated from society at large. And what we're learning is that just letting them go and saying, okay, have someone come pick you up and figure it out, that makes people way more likely to recidivate and to go back to committing crime because they have no idea what else to do. The world spends, you know, whatever the length of their prison sentence is, the world has spent that time moving forward. And if that person can't keep up with technology or doesn't understand how to use a cell phone that's on the market, or doesn't understand where to go to get, like, basic services, odds are really, really high that they're going to end up back in the criminal justice system. Uh, The re-arrest rate for federal inmates is about 49.3% over the next eight years from their release from prison. But if they have that second step in the middle, and if they have a high school degree, the odds of them committing another crime go way down. Okay, so I, I, I've had other guests on, Angela, where we've been really, like, they've, they've been just as excited as you are about the program. And I think we do need uh, substantial changes made to the federal prison system 
in how people are rehabilitated because it shouldn't just be we're locking you up, you know, we're leaving you in here. And when you're done, if you ever get out, then we're just basically unlocking you and pushing you out the door to try to deal with a world that has radically changed, especially for people who've been in uh, prison for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Like you said, they can't even use technology. Everyone's holding a cell phone. They are not aware of how it works or what exactly it does. Um, so how do we get the kind of kinks out of it before it's passed? Because the, the worst thing in the world is well-intentioned legislation that goes forward and is pushed through because we have to do something. And then in the end, the unintended consequences are worse than the original situation. Right. I, I think the Senate has a strong version of the bill right now. This bill has gone through multiple iterations of edits. Uh, the most recent one was that people who are convicted of female genital mutilation, uh, which is a, a horrific crime, it's an absolutely horrible, horrible thing to do to someone, that crime was just added to the list of things that will not be eligible for early release under the First Step Act. I think if there's one thing that we need to make absolutely sure of, it's that we've thought of every single crime as a society that we want to explore from this. Um, and, and if you look at the list, most of the crimes on it are, are show, they show like a real moral issue. It's not like, oh, I was selling drugs because I was out of money and because it's the one thing I knew how to do. These are crimes of like, I went and hurt someone on my own volition or I've done it repeatedly. So crimes with real moral issues, you know, getting someone a high school diploma the fear then is it just makes them a smarter criminal. So there's still needs, uh, there's definitely still more work to do. I agree. So does that, is, is there a possibility of that work that you're talking about that happens? You're saying after the bill is passed, because what I'm seeing now is people are pushing forward and they're moving to support the, the bill so that Mitch McConnell can get the votes to, to get it done. Right. So hopefully the Senate will move will move for closure today at 5.30. If that happens, it is not necessarily smooth sailing for the bill going forward. It would still face a floor vote, and then it would have to go to the House, and there are a handful of congressmen in the House who say, we need to take our time on this, we need to make more edits. And they're very aware of what's happening with the bill, so they're working on it already. I would expect there to be additional negotiation between the Senate and the House um, particularly committee members on Homeland Security and crime, because the last thing we want is someone who's convicted of anything related to terrorism being able to play nice for a few years and then get out and go right back to committing crimes against America. Uh, but that negotiation between the Senate and the House can't happen unless they vote yes on closure. <laughs> okay, so... Those things, the reform things that you're talking about. So we get the cloture going and then they start really working the bill. That, that's what we're to, to understand. I mean, there's been a lot of work done on this bill already, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's done. I want to see what changes the House would make to this bill. I think there's certainly more to discover in terms of what counts as good behavior. That's one thing the bill doesn't lay out very well. We know that good behavior is not causing problems within the prison, but does good behavior mean helping other prisoners? Does good behavior mean showing that you're trustworthy? I, I think good behavior can encompass a lot of things. And if someone can be trustworthy within 
a prison. I think they can pretty much be trustworthy any, anywhere. So I think that's a great side and a great way to incentivize people to, you know, essentially be the best versions of themselves that they can be, even if they're locked up. Because um, right now what we see in prisons, or anytime you have a group of people, you will see people think the lowest common denominator. And in any situation that's sad, in a prison it's toxic. Uh, so one thing that the First Step Act uh, could certainly be amended to do is to give people the right incentives while they're behind bars. Mm, okay. Well, I would love to, uh, I'll be following you over at the Washington Examiner to keep up with this. I'm, I, I want there to be substantial prison reform that keeps people who've done low-level drug offenses who are not yet fully criminals to keeps them out of jail. You know, something that really keeps them away from our more hardened criminals. And then I'd love to see something going on. And I know there are some countries in Europe that already do this where they're rehabilitating people so that they have an opportunity to redeem themselves. Because as you know, this is Christian radio, Angela, we don't believe that people are like, you know, pieces of paper, once you've written on it, or something bad has happened to it, you just ball it up and throw it away. People can be reformed, people can be redeemed, and they can go on to contribute to society. And we want to see more of that. I don't think we're doing a good job right now. And I was encouraged to see that Texas, and I think it was South Carolina, have already implemented, you know, some of the reforms that are in this package. And they've, they've really re- substantially reduced their prison population without increasing crime. I want to see more of that. But I don't want to see carjackers going in and getting out for good behavior. They are, they, if you're carjacking someone basically because their car is nice, you deserve to be in jail and early release isn't for you. And and I don't care if you've killed someone or not. Most carjackings go wrong when there are children in the car and the, the person doesn't want to get out because of the kids. And then the carjacker starts killing people. Carjacking should be the one where you get the book thrown at you because it's just not even for anything that you need. It's not because you can eat a car. Um, so anyway, thank you so much. Angela Morabito, contributor to the Washington Examiner. Um, thank you for your expert analysis here. Thank you so much, Stacey. Have a great day. You too. All right. We are going to be back with more. In fact, we're going to be coming in with this audio. Uh, the bad signs for millennial generation and the adulting school deal. We'll be coming back in with that. Um, prepare to laugh. Get your tummy muscles ready. Don't be drinking anything because you're going to be laughing when you hear what's going on. This is real. It's actually happening. Not a spoof. That's what you're going to hear on the other side of the break. And then me. And then you will take your calls at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Be right back. The Capital One commercial will forever be etched in the ear of the listener. What's in your wallet is a phrase that won't easily be forgotten. But this is not a Capital One plug. I want you to think about the people that are in your circle of influence. Who's in your circle is my new catchphrase. Simply because we don't think enough about the people or spirits that we allow into our personal space. Negativity is contagious and fatal. Misery loves company and it's fatal to your hopes and dreams. I think we all know 
someone who, no matter what good has happened, always has something negative to say. Ugh, that really bothers me. That bad attitude and that pessimistic spirit will only cause you to do the same. There's no room for doubt, especially if you're believing God to bring that vision to fruition. Now, this is not a license for you to be mean. It is, however, a license for you to assess who's in your circle and make the necessary adjustments. With a heart for the urban family, I'm today's urban woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. I come to steal, kill, and to destroy. You belong to me. Your soul, your mind, and your body. You chose death over life. You are mine forever and ever and ever. is real. Matthew chapter 25 verse 46 says there will be those who will receive eternal punishment in hell, but the righteous will have eternal life in heaven with our Savior Jesus Christ. Which will you choose? Let's go deeper at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, millennial adults are increasingly heading back to class. They're not pursuing a degree, but rather learning essential life skills. Laura Podesta takes us inside a course on adulting. Um, so I'm going to show you guys how to cut an onion. At this cooking class in Queens, New York, 29-year-old Elena Tamara says she's finally learning skills she wishes she'd been taught years ago. I don't know, I was so used to like when I was living at home, my mom always cooking and me just doing simple things. And now that I'm on my own, I'm still kind of struggling with it. She's not alone. The number of classes geared toward teaching adults how to adult is growing. Rachel Flanger co-founded the aptly named Adulting School in Portland, Maine. This month, she's launching online classes geared toward millennials anywhere who want to know how to sew a button, understand modern art, or tell someone they love them. How to have a relationship, how to talk to somebody, conflict resolution, how not to fight. Mm. Okay, all right guys. But that wasn't all. There's more to this little, it's an it's a investigative piece, but it's a little bit of a puff piece because if you think about it, um, now I, I know 
there could be someone who comes from a fantastic home who never learned how to properly cut an onion. But we're talking about the age of the internet and television. All you have to do is turn on Food Network, or if you don't have cable, because we certainly don't, just go to YouTube and type in slicing and dicing or uh, you know cutting onions, chopping, how to chop vegetables, and all these videos come up. And within minutes, you can be slicing an onion too. But the question is, what home are you coming from where you never had to help cook? And I know people eat out a lot. I know there are many different types of home situations. And so if that's the type of home you're running, you know, don't get upset with me. I'm not, I'm not actually attacking you. I'm just saying, at what point does a kid get the skills they need to take care of themselves? And we're talking about the basics, like being able to do their own laundry without destroying everything in their wash, being able to, and, and the way to get them to do it is to make them responsible for washing all of the clothes in the house theirs and yours. Because if yours are in there and they know they have to be careful not to ruin your clothes and they're going to ruin a few things, they're going to ruin some towels, they're going to splash bleach on some stuff, you know, and you're going to cope with that. But it's better to lose a few items of clothing when they're kids than to have your kids be that person who can't get a, can't keep a roommate because they can't do anything and they're constantly expecting their roommate to take care of it for them. And that's what we're seeing. I'm, I'm not kidding with you. I've we have kids, they interact with other people's kids. And there are lots of kids that my kids have interacted with, especially when they go to summer camp, who the kids have never done their own laundry. The kids have never done more than warm up a hot pocket. They can't make a sandwich. They can't make a homemade pizza. And they certainly can't fry up a frozen burger or cook scrambled eggs, you know, whip up a batch of pancakes or some muffins. And these are the simple cooking items. We're not talking about making, you know, chicken Madeira where you need a bunch of different ingredients and you have to follow a bunch of steps or putting together a lasagna, which is actually pretty simple, but again, multi-part instructions. We're not talking about that. We're talking about just the simple stuff. Like, can you just get the kind of food that you can buy at the store and live? Baking chicken, throwing some rice in with it and some seasonings and having baked chicken and rice. Can you take care of yourself? Can you make more than just the simplest basic from frozen meals? Um, Can you fry up a steak properly? Uh, Can you make side dishes? And that's just the food, the interpersonal relationships. If your child's married to their cell phone 24-7, and I know there was a little bit of backlash about the article that I posted on Facebook last week about the seven hours a day or eight hours a day being enough to thin out the cortex of the brain and, you know, reduce the intelligence level and testing ability of kids. And some people were like, oh, that's child abuse. Well, it kind of is child abuse to leave your kid alone with a, with a device and not have any kinds of restrictions on how often they are on it and how much time they get to spend. But there's also, in my opinion, it's a form of child abuse to send a person out into the world a person who will be seeking out relationships and looking for someone to marry, whether it's a boy or a girl, who can't do the basics like cleaning the bathroom, cleaning toilets, um, washing dishes, loading and unloading a dishwasher, cleaning floors, cleaning, dusting, doing all the stuff it takes to keep a house clean and knowing that that has to be done. A person that knows that they need to change their sheets. And and it sounds like if I know you're, you're listening and you're thinking, what is she talking about? Well, the numbers point to this being more common than I would have imagined. Like they're, they're, this is a common issue with millennials. Here's the rest of that audio bit, talking about how many of these guys still live at home with their parents and what they're up to. It's number four. 
Experts say millennials are behind because many haven't left childhood homes. The U.S. Census Bureau says in 2015, 34% of Americans between 18 and 34 still lived with a parent. That's compared to just 26% in 2005. It is more common than um, living with roommates and more common than living with a spouse. That translates into young adults marrying later, having children later, and ultimately figuring out those crucial life skills later, too. What's the most surprising question that someone in their late 20s has come to you and asked? I'm always surprised about um, people not knowing what I think are the simple things in terms of knife skills or flavors that may go together. Chef Kim Caliccio says she's happy to keep teaching classes to help millennials catch up in the kitchen. Better late than never. So it's true. Better late than never is absolutely true. I'm so there's, if you realize you're short on skills and you want to take a class or you want to go beyond what you can find on YouTube and you take that into hand and you get it done, you know, there are plenty of people who live up in less than ideal family situations and they enter adulthood without a lot of skills and they know they have to, to make everything up as they go along because they didn't have the foundation at home. Not everyone's going to have that. But speaking to the intact families and families that have, you know, a, a gainfully employed adult who is looking after their children's best interests, it's not in our kids' best interest to do everything for them. And it feels great. I'm still making my kids lunches. You know, I've, I've had this conversation with people before where they'll say, oh, you're, you're not making your kids lunch anymore? I'm like, I haven't made their lunch since they were in grammar school. I stopped making the kids lunch exclusively, meaning I would make it some days, they would make it some days. I, we, we moved to that system where I no longer made it five days a week when I started getting complaints about what I was making. When the kids started complaining, I was like, well, if you don't like what I'm making, maybe you'd like to pack lunch yourself a couple days a week and, and see how it goes. First of all, the complaining stopped. And second of all, they actually enjoyed having a little control over a couple of days a week. And then when we started incorporating those school lunches, and you can eat at school lunch two days a week, and then we pack from home three days a week, then they transitioned to packing their own lunches exclusively. And I would double check to make sure it wasn't a bag of Fruit Loops and two fruit roll-ups, you know, to, so that it was an actual lunch. And that made them more responsible. And it gave them a sense of, I can do that. I do that for myself. And what was really interesting about it is, so way back, way back when, when my husband and I were dating and we had, a, we were on active duty. We had a friend that we worked with. She, she actually, I think worked uh, in my squadron. I'm, I, I can't remember the specifics, but I remember going to her place and she had a six-year-old son and he had all of his food was actually in a lower cabinet where he could get it. And at six years old, he was packing his own lunches because she was a single mom and on active duty in the Air Force. And so their time in the morning was very, very short. They would get up and they'd have to be out the door in a certain amount of time. So the night before he would pack his lunch, he would also come home after school and when she would pick him up. They'd come home and he would immediately get his own snack and then start working on his homework, whatever his homework was. If there was no homework, he would do handwriting exercises or what have you. And I was marveling at it because he was six years old. But then when we started our family and I started watching what my kids could do, if I did it for them, then it, that's how it got done. But if I said to them, you, you, you try it, they would quickly learn how to do whatever it was. I mean, kids are amazing that way. So that's why it's so, it's disturbing to hear that someone like 
our kids can make complex dishes and they don't want to. I'm, these are not angels. They're not running around saying, oh, mom, no, let me cook that dinner for you. They're not doing that, but they're definitely able to do it because they've had an opportunity to help with not just the holiday meals, but meals during the week, on the weekend. Um, some, some nights I'll just say, it's your night, you're cooking tonight. And I get a little look like, oh, she's serious. But then we always have something interesting for dinner. <laughs> so, you know, let, let's let these kids do something for themselves. Um, so we have time for a couple of calls. And then we're going to listen to this audio about the secret Santa. Remember the guy who was giving out $100 bills? He's back. Only this time he enlisted a homeless guy to help him. And it is the best story ever. So let's first go to the phones. Jerry in New Mexico. Hey, thank you so much for calling into the show today. Well, then thank you, Miss Stacy, for taking my call. Sure. I want to address this first thing, the, the one with the prison release early. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can release prisoners or educate prisoners, somebody that steals. And I'll give you an example. If somebody steals the railroad crossing signs and he goes to prison for that, and then when he gets out, he gets educated, he gets out, then, and he doesn't have a change of heart, he can go back and steal the whole train. You have to have a change of heart to become a productive individual without going back, resorting back to what you were doing before, because that's all you knew before. Mm, I, it's true, have, but that that comes from teaching prisoners the Bible and and having missionaries yeah. coming in and really having giving them a opportunity yeah. for a heart change. And I know liberals are yeah. totally against that, but that is. That has been the most effective rehabilitation method instead of just teaching people yes. how to be better criminals. I, I totally agree with you. Thank you so much, Jerry, for calling the show today. Um, I'm not sure if we have another caller there. I don't see a name. Um, we can go to that person or I'm going to go to this next story. All right. So I'm going to go to this next story here. Um, we have um, this is such a heartwarming piece and I, I think we need it as something to kind of move us along past because we're going to get into more political issues later in the show but we we have to be we have to take bites of the good news as well as the onslaught of the kind of negative news that's going on they're always going to be you know news stories about crime but this story is really special because this is a wealthy man who refuses to allow his face to be on camera he refuses to allow any any um accolades to come to him. He wants to be kept secret, but he's been out blessing people thousands of dollars at Christmas. And it's an example for us. And I'm not saying this as if I don't know that people are stressed during Christmas and trying to figure out how to do Christmas for their own families. We can each do what we can do. But if we've been blessed, we're blessed to be a blessing. And this guy is putting out the ultimate example in how to really just He's melting people on the spot with these gifts of $100 bills. Here's the story. It's number five. Ma'am, how are you doing today? You ready for Christmas? A lot of people ignore the homeless, but folks rushing past Moses Elder may regret their haste. Because this week, all people had to do was pay him some attention. Ladies! And he would pay them back in Benjamins. So there's $100 for you? You can imagine the shock. $100 for you. Thank you. Oh, 
Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. Moses's mission was financed by Secret Santa. Merry Christmas to you, sweetie. The same anonymous wealthy businessman who every year goes around the country handing out $100 bills to random strangers. But this holiday season, in addition to his normal giving, he came here to Phoenix. Good morning. Good morning. And recruited this most unlikely homeless elf. I want to enlist you to help me. Can we do that? <laughs> yes. All right. Oh, so, man. so here's what we're going to do. One. He gave Moses about $3,000 with the instruction to give it away to whoever he saw fit. I think this will be a, a joyful experience for him. You know, it's a myth that, you know, the homeless just take. From my experience, the people with the least give the most of what they have. We saw that too. Hey, come here for a minute. Come here. Danny McCoy put change in the cup, even though he has seven kids. And until this moment, there's $100 for you, sir, for showing your kind heart. Had no idea how he was going to buy Christmas presents. I'm eternally grateful for for what he did. You are looking for a job? And that's the kind of relief Moses brought to so many here. You had that for me. Most of those he blessed were strangers who just happened by. God bless you. Mm. And so you can watch the rest of that video over at StacyOnTheRight.com. Uh, there's, there's some more in there where the homeless elf, as they were calling him, uh, who was handing out the $100 bills, he actually found some people that he knew who really needed help at Christmas and he gave them larger sums because he was allowed to do whatever he wanted with the money. And it's just so heartwarming watching it. If you if you want to have the mist come in and force itself out of your tear ducts, uh, then you'll watch the video. It's 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 fantastic. I'm so glad they put it out there and they took some time to to put a good story out around Christmas time of someone giving and we all have the opportunity to give in whatever way that we feel led to do it. And I, I encourage, you know, to give into that impulse. Give if if you feel led to do it, definitely um, give in whatever way you feel that you can beyond what you're doing at church with your tithes and offerings. I'm talking about blessing other people at the Christmas season. Um, it'll make you feel fantastic, and it will be obviously you're storing up treasure in heaven when we when we do for other people for no other reason than the joy of doing it. And uh, that's the music that I hear. So if you're leaving us now, good evening from the heartland. If you are sticking around, you're going to hear onenewsnow.com news and information. And uh, I'll be back with you right after this.